0: Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians from every specialty, or most at least to this point, hopefully every in the future, every specialty to talk about what drew them to their specialty, what they like about their specialty, what they don't like about their specialty, and much more. Our goal here is to help show you as you're going through your pre-med journey, your medical school journey, even your residency journey, that there are so many options out there for physicians and and specialties and whatever you want and, and desire out of your career, you can go and find it. Today, I have a great guest. I have Dr. Edmund Choi, an ophthalmologist, talking about his journey to ophthalmology and his career as an ophthalmologist. We start the discussion by talking about how he became interested in ophthalmology to begin with.
1: Yeah, so my journey to ophthalmology began sort of when I was in college. It began super early. You know, I know most people decide probably Sometime during medical school, but I decided in ophthalmology um, in college. I was able to participate in um, during the summer months in multiple research labs, uh, kind of basic science and also clinical research. And that kind of uh, you know introduced me to the field of ophthalmology. And in college, one of the uh summer programs that I was in, uh, we looked at retinal blood flow in humans. And that kind of that was my first exposure to ophthalmology and the technology involved. And um, following that, I pursued a thesis project uh, in my undergrad, uh, which looked at a mouse model of a disease called oculodental digital dysplasia. And that kind of more or less solidified my interest in ophthalmology. And then when I went to med school, I kind of had an inkling that I was basically going to go for ophthalmology, but I wanted to keep you know, my options open, explore kind of other specialties related to ophthalmology as well. too. Um, but I would say, you know, basically in college, I was pretty set on ophthalmology.
0: Now, I think the the last time I looked at the stats, only 25% of students coming into medical school actually stick with what the the specialty they thought they were going to do coming in. So as you were exploring the other fields, were there any that were close to pulling you away from ophthalmology or were you just set the whole way through?
1: So I felt that I was pretty much set whole way through, but I really wanted to uh, do my due diligence and explore as many fields as I could. You you never know what you're going to kind of come across during medical school. And I think it was, you know, very fortunate of me to come across ophthalmology so early, but I did explore uh, ENT. I did some research in cardiology. I uh, explored surgical oncology as well too, you know, some kind of surgical specialties, procedural specialties as well too. Um, and I guess more or less during each of these rotations, it kind of solidified my interests in ophthalmology. Um, but at the same time, I was able to you know pursue research projects and also shadow other people within other specialties. Um, so that helped a lot as well too.
0: Yeah. What are some of the traits that you think lead to someone being a good ophthalmologist?
1: Yeah. So in ophthalmology, um, you know, we do a lot of work with our hands, we operate under the microscope. We use a what we call a slit lamp um, microscope as well, too, in the clinic to examine patients. So we're very detail oriented. We work a lot with our hands, um, and I would also consider ourselves most of us uh, very visual learners. You know, a lot of the ophthalmology field is based on your examination of the patient, and one of the most interesting aspects of ophthalmology is also the uh, amount of imaging that we do uh, in the office. So we do many types of uh, ocular imaging, Mostly, most uh, most of them are non-invasive. And I think that aspect of ophthalmology is very visual and has drawn a lot of people into the specialty.
0: Mm. What are some of the biggest misconceptions or myths around ophthalmology that you're constantly fighting off?
1: Uh So that's a really good question. Uh, Myths around ophthalmology. I think a lot of people may think that all we do is you know, prescribe glasses uh, and do cataract surgery or that most people do LASIK. Yeah. Um, I think that's what I, I hear the most about. You know, I have a lot of friends and family that ask if uh, the candidates for LASIK or what my <laughs> opinion is on the hottest new type of refractive surgery or different types of cataract lenses. But, you know, there's a lot of different uh, aspects of ophthalmology that the general population doesn't hear about, you know, Every single millimeter of the eye has its own subspecialty fellowship. So, glaucoma, retina, cornea, plastics, pediatrics, neuro-ophthalmology, uveitis, uh, and retina—all these different fields are part of ophthalmology. So, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions um, that uh, I come across sometimes: is that we're so subspecialized. But a lot of people think that you know we do uh, a couple certain things only.
0: Yeah. And so for you, you're subspecialized in uveitis and external ocular disease. What types of patients and pathologies, diseases are you seeing on a day-to-day basis with that specialty?
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I'm a uveitis specialist. I practice at uh, the Sinai Institute at UCLA. And, you know, I see some very interesting patients that I, I take care of and a lot of interesting cases. What uveitis mainly entails is um, basically it means intraocular inflammation of the eye or inflammation of the eye. So these patients tend to have underlying autoimmune diseases. Um, They could have infectious diseases of the eye. Um, We also deal with uh, patients that, um, or we we treat patients that have um, other associated autoimmune conditions. So they may have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, They may have uh, Crohn's disease, uh, ankylosing and spondylitis, and all, a whole uh, variety of autoimmune conditions. And many of these autoimmune conditions can be associated with uh, uveitis.
0: Why is the, what's the connection there between autoimmune disease and uveitis? Because it seems like the eye is always like, let's just go check the eye because maybe something's going on there for something that's completely separate from the eye.
1: Right. And I think that's one of the biggest uh, and interesting questions of, you know, ophthalmology and medicine is why are these patients predisposed to intraocular inflammation? Why is there such a connection between, say, uh, juvenile idiopathic arthritis and uveitis or ankles and spondylitis and uveitis? You know, these patients are, um, are prone to autoimmune disease. So the eye is one of the, the main organs that can be affected. And it's, you know, it's really interesting in our field to kind of T out that diagnosis, and you know, figure out the underlying cause of inflammation for the patient. And then we work very closely with other medical specialties, such as rheumatologists, to help manage both the eye disease and also the systemic disease.
0: So as you are going through this process, right, you had mentioned that um, that you work with your hands a lot and you are using the slit lamp for someone who's really interested in the eye and eye pathology and the eye anatomy, but isn't so confident in using their hands. Is that a, a skill that you think can be taught or are there subspecialties in the ophthalmology world where there's less work with the hands?
1: That's a really good question. I think uh, you know a lot of people going ophthalmology wondering, you know, what if my hands shake during surgery, and what if, how do I know before I even start residency that I'll be a good eye surgeon? And you know, I don't think most of us will know. We don't, you know, we don't operate on eyes until we get into uh, residency, and I think that's a big fear that people have. Um, you know, I don't think that there's anything particularly uh, that you can, you know necessarily practice before being your ophthalmology residents uh, with regards to kind of training your hands. But there are a lot of different simulators that we use in residency before we start operating on patients to learn how to, you know, um, uh, perform microscopic eye surgery. So there are a lot of, uh, you know, more or less kind of virtual reality simulators that we learn how to use the instruments, how to use the foot pedals as well, too. We operate with both our hands and also both our feet. So all four limbs are, are moving at the same time. So it's a lot of hand-eye foot coordination uh, <laughs>
0: for us. So what you're saying is, is, somebody should start playing video games right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of video games, and a lot of uh, simulators potentially may, may make you uh, kind of <laughs> more well-set for ophthalmology. I love it. But we're not sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what does a typical day look like for you?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the typically varies a lot between, I would say, different, different subspecialties and obviously when you're a resident versus uh, a faculty member. You know, I can start off by discussing kind of what it's like uh, as a resident. And I did my residency at NYU. Uh, we had a fairly large program. We had seven residents per year for a total of 21 ophthalmology residents, uh, which is considered a fairly large program. And typically, we would start off the day with a lecture from about 7 to 8 a.m. We have one-hour lecture on a various uh, subspecialty. And then we're pretty much in clinic um, from 8 o'clock till maybe around 4 to 5 o'clock. And depending on the day of the week, um, each day may be different uh, with regards to performing surgery or seeing post-operative patients or doing pre-operative uh, evaluations. And what's nice about ophthalmology is that there's a very graduated um, learning uh, system in place. So when you're a junior resident, you start off learning, obviously, the eye basics. You don't do quite as much intraocular surgery, but you do extraocular surgery. So surgeries that may involve the ocular surface, like removing a pterygium. And then you move on to doing um, strabismus surgeries, so lazy eye surgeries. Um, And then as you kind of hone your skills by doing simulations and other procedures in the clinic. You gradually begin to do intraocular procedures, um, possibly corneal transplants, called glaucoma surgeries, and also retina surgeries, assisting on those um, with the ultimate goal of being able to perform cataract surgery, um, basically independently by the end of your sur- uh, your residency.
0: Yeah, what does call look like for you?
1: Yeah, so again, you know, call is one of the important things of residency, and. You know, we had a fairly big program again. So call was divided uh, amongst uh, all the residents. Uh, We had three big hospitals that we would cover. And, you know, I'd say call was heavy. We do have a lot of call uh, as ophthalmologists. Um, We take a lot of trauma call. um, And as residents, we would cover the um, private hospital, the uh, county hospital, and also the VA hospital. And since there are seven of us uh, for each year, we would alternate uh, every seven days or so. And, you know, it was up to us to determine our schedules. And, uh, you know, we had a fair amount of call, but I think being on call and taking call uh, helps you develop a lot of independence and learn a lot as ophthalmology residents while having that backup uh, senior resident to help you out uh, during the learning process. And then when you're a faculty member and attending, uh, we generally take trauma calls well too so if there's any you know injuries to the eye uh yeah, we can help out in surgery if needed um or uh, help out in, on after hours emergencies as well too
0: yeah now you're in a a little bit of a unique guest for me on the podcast coming from Canada to do your medical education here in the states mm-hmm. briefly for for someone listening who is in Canada and maybe wants to come to the states what was that process like for you to do your residency residency here, and then decide to stay and train here versus going back into Canada? And and, and how much of a uh, how many hoops did you have to jump through for visas or residency <laughs> status or any of that?
1: Right, exactly. That's an excellent question. There are you know a lot of hoops, and uh, you know, if we have time, I'd love to elaborate fully on my my kind of journey from Canada. Uh, to the United States. But, you know, there are visa hurdles. Um, There's different types of visas that one can apply for uh, during residency. Um, And kind of those may or may not limit your options in terms of staying in the United States or going back to Canada. And you have to consider those uh, visa options as well, too, when you're looking for fellowships, as those can also limit your options, potentially. And then ultimately, when you're looking for your first faculty position, um, you'd have to take into account, you know, are programs uh, okay with you being on a visa? Do you need to consider applying for a green card? Um, it's it's an interesting process, and I think you know I did a lot of learning uh, about the process during this whole application uh, cycle multiple times. And I had a lot of classmates at Dartmouth that were also international students, so we had a lot of you know discussion, and they were very supportive of uh, international students uh, being at Dartmouth. So I I you know we're very fortunate in that sense.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So talk to me about the decision as you were wrapping up your fellowship and now you're at a relatively big academic medical center for you what was that decision algorithm to go to an academic medicine or or go out into the community
1: mm-hmm. so that's a really good question because you know that comes a point there comes a point in residency training where you're deciding Am I going to stick with academics or am I going to uh, try my luck in private practice or even establish your own practice or versus joining a practice? And for me, you know, I really like the academic and uh, research aspects um, that a large hospital system provides. I've always been involved in resident and medical student education uh, during my time in residency and also uh, as a fellow. And that kind of played a role into me deciding to go into an academic uh, healthcare setting. So, you know, as my role um, as a UVI specialist at UCLA, you know, we teach medical students uh, about ophthalmology. We teach residents and uh, we also have fellows within UVitis that we teach as well, too. So, you know, for me, I really enjoy taking the time to to teach trainees and also uh, perform research. So my time is split between research uh, and education, also clinical care.
0: Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital?
1: Definitely. I think, you know, our specialty uh, is amenable to having, you know, a fair amount of time outside the hospital. We are an outpatient specialty, so five days a week, Monday to Friday generally, and then, you know, call uh, as needed, which leaves us with our our weekends uh, as well to, you know, enjoy, um, you know, our hobbies, pursue other things. You know, I like to uh, do a lot of research as well, too, uh, after hours, um, when it's a little bit quieter, um, you know, otherwise a lot of people may be doing other things. Um, you know, I'm able to go to the gym, um, hang out with friends and it's, uh, it's pretty flexible. I, I do enjoy uh, our schedule.
0: What does the training path look like for you?
1: So the training path to become specifically a fellowship trained ophthalmologist, we start off, you know, during our four years of college and then four years of medical school, one year of intern year, either in preliminary medicine uh, or preliminary general surgery, which is what I did, or also a transitional year, um, and then three years of ophthalmology residency. You know, most programs are moving towards the integrated um, uh, four-year residency now, so there's less choices in terms of uh, prelim medicine surgery or transitional year. And then following your residency, you then have the option of sub-specializing, or you can go into practice as a comprehensive ophthalmologist. So if you want to subspecialize, you then, in your final year of, of uh, ophthalmology residency, you apply for fellowships, uh, like I had mentioned before, which cover every millimeter of the eye, including cornea, glaucoma, both medical and surgical retina, pediatrics, uh, neuroophthalmology, ophthalmology uh, oculoplastics, and of course, uveitis. So there's a lot of different areas of ophthalmology that you can um, explore and, and apply into.
0: Now, ophthalmology, I think most people understand it's a pretty competitive uh, specialty. What does someone have to do? What does a medical student have to do to be competitive to match into ophthalmology?
1: I think, yeah, you're right. You know, ophthalmology is considered traditionally one of the more competitive specialties. I think uh, everything that medical students should do, you know, the classic things is getting good grades, getting good clerkship grades, getting good letters. But also, you know, try to explore ophthalmology early on, um, meeting those mentors that can go to bat for you, um, learning more about the eye. You know, our exposure to ophthalmology is generally pretty limited in most medical curriculum. And I think to be a competitive applicant, you should explore early, um, maybe possibly get involved in some of the departmental research, whether it be a case report or a small uh, small study that can allow you to present at some of our national or international conferences you know that helps you get your name out there. Um, people are generally very, very friendly. They're always open to uh, talking to you. There's a lot of different mentorship programs available for medical students within ophthalmology. So I would encourage everyone to uh, take a look at those and also just reach out. You know, a lot of us, many of us are incredibly friendly and always open to, to taking questions and helping each other out.
0: That's always good friendliness is what we need more of in this world. (laughs) Um, so as a, as an ophthalmologist, right again, being one of the more competitive specialties for the osteopathic student listening to this, who's dying to go into ophthalmology, what do you think Mm -hmm. they need to do to kind of help, help overcome any sort of negative bias that's out there?
1: Sure. So I think, you know, with, you know, especially now with the step one score that is, um, being changed to pass-fail, mm-hmm. I think there's probably going to be more of a shift uh, towards a potentially more holistic uh, view of your application. So, you know, I, I don't think necessarily there's a ton of negative bias. I think, you know, there are uh, osteopathic ophthalmology and mm-hmm. um, fellowships, all the fellowships are open to uh, either MD or osteopathic applicants. Yep. Um, and residencies and are that way now,
0: starting in 2020, right? Oh, the The single great, accreditation yeah, so that, process.
1: I see. So that makes it a lot more flexible yeah. for applicants. And I think, you know, going through the same um, uh, strategies as, you know, getting the research in, uh, meeting mentors early on, um, can really help uh, your overall application uh, process and make you really uh, stand out um, in the in the process.
0: Okay. Very cool. What do you wish... The primary care providers, so the, the future family practice docs, future internists mm-hmm. that are listening to this, what do you wish they knew about ophthalmology, about uveitis to to hopefully help their patients and help you as well in the future?
1: So with regards to primary care physicians, you know, everyone sees or should be seeing a primary care provider and those um, physicians can help refer you to us to ophthalmology to help you know, diagnose and manage uh, conditions in your eyes. I think one thing that um, I really would like primary care to focus on is to you know learn a little bit about the eye during medical school. I think uh, the early exposure, um, either to just basic examination of pupils, visual acuity, or even attempting the direct ophthalm- uh, using the direct ophthalmoscope or the slit lamp. Uh, really helps in uh, primary care specialties or even in the emergency room settings. Uh, You know, they can really help triage patients and tease out kind of the abnormalities that need to be either urgently referred, like uh, acute painful red eye or things that may be uh, less acute, you know, such as cataracts that occur in older age. So I think... um, Taking that time during medical school, regardless of whatever specialty you go into, to take advantage of the learning opportunities uh, for ophthalmology, since we already have so such limited uh, exposure, uh, is what I would recommend.
0: As an ophthalmologist, what other specialties are you working the closest with?
1: So, as a primarily a ophthalmologist who focus on, focuses on uveitis patients. Um, I work very closely with a lot of different medical specialties to treat and to manage their underlying, you know, systemic diagnoses, autoimmune conditions. One of the specialties I work most closely with uh, are rheumatologists, uh, both adults and pediatric rheumatologists to manage, um, you know, many complex uh, autoimmune inflammatory disorders to co-manage some of the uh, medications that these patients receive. You know, we also work very closely with infectious disease specialists Um, because some patients can be immunosuppressed um, and also develop some findings of uh, infection or inflammation in the eye because of those diseases. And we also work closely with uh, neurologists as well, too, and other uh, internal medicine specialties. So it's a a really multidisciplinary specialty uh, that I'm very fortunate to be in.
0: Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for ophthalmologists or uveitis specialists?
1: So one of the um, things I find most interesting in ophthalmology is research. And I think um, uh, the technology in ophthalmology has progressed very rapidly in the past several decades. You know, we have a lot of non-invasive imaging modalities uh, to detect disease in the eye and to characterize um, various eye conditions. So I think the opportunities for research, um, you know, outside of clinical medicine are, are very robust. Um, you know, with technologies such as something called optical coherence tomography, which can take uh, very high resolution pictures or cross sections through various tissues of the eye. Um, we have other imaging modalities such as fluorescein angiograms, which look directly at the uh, blood vessels in your eye as well too. And these imaging modalities are all, um, uh, Lo- uh, located inside the eye clinic. And we obtain them on a routine basis and interpret uh, the images ourselves that same day typically.
0: So now, especially for you, you're relatively new into this field out of fellowship and, and out on your own as a as a big adult attending. What <laughs> would you go back, knowing what you know now, being out through, through fellowship now and residency training, what would you go back and tell yourself as you were starting this training?
1: You know, I think one of the most interesting things um, as a uh, brand new attending is, you know, you are the one uh, doing the billing and, the, and some of the insurance work. And I think if I were to tell myself back in residency, I would want more of those lectures teaching you about billing and healthcare and insurance and uh, things like that to try to help minimize the barriers that patients have to getting access. I think those are very valuable things, especially in the field like uveitis or in ophthalmology, where patients need you know various testing for autoimmune diseases, various uh, body imaging, uh, and things like that. I think uh, learning more about how to uh, overcome some of those barriers uh, uh, is very important.
0: What do you like the most about being a uveitis specialist?
1: I think the most interesting thing I found in UVS is the amount of interesting diagnoses, you know, autoimmune conditions can manifest in so many different ways in the eye. And we're always discovering new ways that they manifest in the eye. Um, you know, the eye is really the only place that we can non-invasively view the uh, vasculature. So, you know, I really enjoy the uh, multimodal imaging aspects of the eye. So you know, as I mentioned, all the different machines and instruments that we have in the clinic and machines that are being developed um, all over the world. Um, you know we're very fortunate to be able to use some of these prototypes uh, as well too and help uh, contribute to some of the development of these non-invasive imaging modalities. So that's uh, one of my favorite parts of ophthalmology.
0: What do you like the least?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough question. I I don't think there's anything particular that I don't like about ophthalmology. And I know that sounds like a (laughs) a canned answer, but, uh, you know, I really, truly, um, I really, truly do love what I do. And, um, there's not a single aspect of it that I would say i can single out <laughs> yeah
0: yeah still still uh, too new into the world maybe uh, exactly. give you a couple of years and we'll check back in with you <laughs> exactly like i know how to answer that question now <laughs> yeah um so for the the student listening to this it's like oh ophthalmology uveitis sounds awesome is there any are, are there any major changes coming to the field that you think students should be aware of that may make them change their mind
1: I think so. I don't think there's anything that would make them change their mind negatively uh, to affect them going to ophthalmology. But I think there's a lot of things that can change their mind positively. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of technology within ophthalmology, and you know, as as we see right now, artificial intelligence is playing a huge, huge role in uh, many medical specialties. In fact, uh, the first FDA-approved use of artificial intelligence in medicine was within ophthalmology to diagnose um, diabetic retinopathy. So I think, you know, the major changes that we're going to see coming to our specialty are uh, broader implementation of artificial intelligence for uh, different diagnoses, how they can assist uh, ophthalmologists in diagnosis. Maybe even in the operating room, they can help predict or guide, um, you know, the surgeon as well, too, or predict uh, if a complicated thing is going to happen. So there's a lot of different um, aspects of artificial intelligence that can be implemented in ophthalmology. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest changes uh, that we're going to see coming to specialty. You know, probably five, ten years from now, uh, we're going to see a uh, much more widespread implementation of artificial intelligence. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this gets implemented formally in ophthalmology as well as in other uh, medical specialties as well, too.
0: If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a uveitis specialist?
1: 100 percent i i love what i do you know we have incredible patients we develop these incredible relationships with our patients because we see them so frequently um i think one of the best aspects of my specialty uh is the amount of interdisciplinary care that we do you know we have meetings with the rheumatologists i communicate with them uh very frequently about patient care and there's just a lot of interesting uh dimensions to uveitis and i think you know Even if I wasn't a UVI specialist, I would still pick ophthalmology, uh, again.
0: And for the student listening to this who is now interested in ophthalmology, potentially in uveitis, what final words of wisdom do you have for them as they're embarking on this journey?
1: So, you know, words of advice I would give to myself 10 years ago when I was just kind of embarking on this journey or to other medical students is to reach out to mentors, um, get involved, um, in either outreach programs or vision screening programs just to get a taste of what ophthalmology is like shadow uh, ophthalmologists. I, you know, I would encourage shattering various specialties as well too, not just ophthalmology, but other specialties to help you understand you know, what you like as well. Um, you know, we all enjoy having medical students in our clinics. Um, sometimes we're looking for students to be involved in our research as well too. So I think the most important piece of advice is just to ask, um, I think, uh, everyone is incredibly friendly and we're all, we all love uh, sharing our passion for our specialty.
0: All right. So there you have it again, Edmund Choi, an ophthalmologist talking about his journey into ophthalmology. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you learned something new and maybe you are now interested in ophthalmology. I've been Announcing all of the, the specialty organizations and societies at the end of the episode now, so I, I don't want to miss another one here. The American Academy of Ophthalmology, if you're interested in ophthalmology, go check it out. It's aao.org. Thank God they don't make you spell ophthalmology because nobody can spell it correctly it was actually something I talked to another ophthalmologist here on the podcast that they they screen out for residency they, they screen out residents who can't spell uh, ophthalmology correctly so aAo.org is the American Academy of Ophthalmology go check it out if you're interested in see what they have going on see what they have for pre-med students and medical students and where you can learn more hope you have a great week we'll see you next time here on specialty stories.